This is Pulse 95. You're listening to the Future Talk podcast. This is Future Talk. Future Talk. Future Talk with Omnial Saleh and Hany Balkis. Welcome back to Future Talk right here on Pulse 95. It is me, Hani Belkais, with Omnia Saleh, bringing you everything you need to know about what's happening in the tech world and around the UAE. Now, today, we will be starting to talk about how there is a UAE warning, how update WhatsApp and how to fix this vulnerability, and how the UAE TRA has also issued security alert to Apple and, iP- and iPad users because... Uh, I actually been seeing this. A uh, couple of people have sent me a message that something's coming up in the reminders. Mm-hmm. Update now, update now, which actually could be malware to your phone. Yes, indeed. So what is that all about? We're going to be giving you all those details in just a few moments. But in the world of Apple, lots is happening as Apple tries to rival Google. They are working on a search technology. And could that become the new search engine that we all depend on? Yes, indeed. Now, Something that we've been talking about for a long time is finally coming to picture because WhatsApp is unveiling a disappearing messages tool with a seven-day limit on those messages. Yes, indeed. But today we're also going to be talking about a very important subject when it comes to our mother tongue, the Arabic language. This year, the Sharjah International Book Fair holds the theme of the world reads from Sharjah, which is quite literal since even amidst a worldwide pandemic, the world is still reading from Sharjah. But Sharjah has also embarked on a landmark project to try and keep alive about 17 century of development in the Arabic language through the historical corpus of the Arabic language that has been launched pretty recently uh, completely online. We're going to be speaking to the automation specialist at the historical corpus of the Arabic language project, Mr. Sasha Motis, who's going to be giving us all the details about what is this corpus and its significance. So make sure you stay tuned because we have a very packed show today. Yes, indeed. We're going to be taking a short break, but when we come back, we're going to be telling you about the warning that has been sweeping the UAE. Daily digital news. Bits and bytes connect our world. Your quick roundup of everything that is happening in the tech world in the UAE and around the world. Today's Daily Digital is talking all about security vulnerabilities because the UAE Telecommunication Regulatory Authority has definitely been warning all of us to go ahead and update our WhatsApp. Now, who doesn't use WhatsApp right here in the UAE? It's basically the main form to send and receive messages whenever you're communicating with other people. But WhatsApp has been having a lot of cybersecurity issues and especially WhatsApp business has been suffering, I think, more than WhatsApp that, you know, regular users uh, would be using. And this is exactly why a new version of both WhatsApp and WhatsApp business were actually released to fix all the the vulnerabilities that could allow the execution of the malicious code that has been circulating uh, around this platform. Yes, indeed. Now, uh, the past couple of weeks, I'll say from last week, a lot of people of my friends and family have actually been sending me screenshots Mm -hmm. of a reminder that uh, their phone has been getting. It It would be on the reminder app saying update, 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 update now. And a lot of people were saying, since when does a reminder come for me to update? And uh, apparently it was malicious software that a hacker was trying to get into where you download a link. But the TRA, the UAE TRA, has tackled the situation very quickly right here in the UAE. Now, the TRA did say in a statement that a new version of WhatsApp and WhatsApp business for iOS was released to fix vulnerabilities that could allow 
the execution of malicious code, memory corruption and crashes, and another vulnerability could even permit Siri to interact with WhatsApp even after the phone was locked. So it was advised for, uh, for users to update their WhatsApp through the Apple Play, Apple Store, Apple iOS Store. And uh, it's very important because like we said time and time again, a lot of people use WhatsApp as a no- number one form of communication. Mm-hmm. And number two, a lot of people send uh, sensitive messages between one another and even can go to the extent of Emirates ID, passports, even credit card information has been shared on WhatsApp. Even if, though uh, we do strongly advise you don't do that. <laughs> yes, we advise you not to do that, but some people uh, take that chance. So if your WhatsApp is compromised, your life actually could be compromised as well. Absolutely. But speaking of updating, the UAE Telecommunication Regulatory Authority has also issued another warning to all Apple users. So Android users are safe this time around, but any Apple user right here in the UAE needs to go ahead and update their iOS if they're using an iPhone and their iPad OS if they own an iPad. And the reason behind this is because a lot of malicious uh, softwares have been circulating over Apple devices and those are mainly tackling memory content. So your photos, your backed up information may be at risk. This is exactly why the TRA has been recommending all users to go ahead and install the 14.2 iOS update as well as the iPad OS 14.2 because these bo- these two updates will definitely include a lot of fixes to all of these vulnerabilities. Yes, well, the TRA actually did make that announcement about what's up on Thursday. Mm-hmm. And on Friday, another announcement was made by the TRA about iPhone users. Now, I have actually been getting a lot of uh, reminders to update my iOS, which I haven't been because, uh, honestly, <laughs> I've been using my phone a little bit too much. But it's very important to update your iOS when vulnerabilities are coming out because you need to be safe, ladies and gentlemen, as our phones uh, they store our credit card information. They store or even our passport information. So uh, it's very important to update your iOS and iPad OS as well. But let's take a look at G- Apple and how it looks to advance search technology as officials are investigating Google. An in-house search engine will enable the world's most valuable technology company to align its hardware and software. Now, Apple will benefit from having its own search engine as it will help the company keep its services and user data within a single ecosystem. Now, time and time again, Omni and I have talked about how Apple wants to be everything, wants to have its own (laughs) ecosystem, own processors, and now we're looking at its own search engine. 100%. And it's funny because just last week, I think, or a few weeks ago, we were talking about Apple looking to enter the mask industry with the iMask. But now they're also looking to rival Google. So quite literally, they want to spread their... Uh, products on all platforms but having their very own in-house Google or similar to Google their very own search engine will definitely help the company keep all of its users data within a single place and an in-house search capability will also allow them to basically be on a pedestal since nowadays we tend to compare Apple with other smartphone industries with other smartphone makers but the iPhone maker has wanted to go ahead and ramp up its effort to try and create its very own search technology more specifically after the u.s antitrust authorities have been probing uh, the different payments that have been done uh, by google this year to make sure that their placement as a default search tool on iphones is legitimate now apple has always have have had its own actual web browser which is safari since the beginning of time apple has that had that but it has always relied on google's search engine to help its users navigate the internet now when consumers search something using the safari web browser it will actually direct them automatically to google search engine and apple doesn't want that anymore they want their own search engine 
and they want to have everything in-house and have their own ecosystem. Now, I like that a lot because, mm-hmm. first of all, Apple's ecosystem is untouchable. But number two, I want to know how efficient will be this search engine because we know that Google is untouchable and Google has toppled any search engine before them and after them. So I want to see how Apple is going to tackle uh, the search engine and how are they going to break the industry. Absolutely. But I also think that working on their very own in-house search engine will allow all of their users to have a very unique 5G experience. iPhone 12 was actually the first smartphone coming out of Apple with 5G capabilities. But if Apple is also considering creating other wearable devices, other devices that also have uh, 5G capabilities such as smart glasses, they definitely would want to have their very own search engine so that they can basically play around with different features. Let us know your thoughts. If Apple were to release their very own search engine, would you be willing to give up on Google? Now, I I personally don't think I would, but I also do use most of Apple products, so I don't think I, it will be too hard of a transition. Now, I, I as well use Apple products, and uh, I would not opt to Safari and go to Google because even though I use Apple products, I do prefer Google Chrome, and I use Google Chrome on my laptop and my desktop and my phone. So, But I feel like they Google, may not give us an option even. Uh, there's always going to be an option because <laughs> if there's not an option, a lot of people are going to be upset. And in general, I think Google has uh, tackled that ecosystem as well because there's always been synchronization between Google accounts on different uh, platforms or devices. So if I do have something open on Google Chrome on my desktop and go to my laptop, it will be there as well. So I don't see it as much as a problem. But let us know your guys' thoughts for 215.slots or on our Instagram at Pulse95Radio. Yes, indeed. Coming up, we're going to be speaking to automation specialist of the historical corpus of the Arabic language project. He's going to be telling us all about this fantastic effort that has been done to help compile thousands and thousands of Arabic books, historical documents, and bringing them all to us on a, on a digital platform. Keep Pulse95 locked. We'll be right back. You're listening to Pulse95. Pulse95. This is Future Talk. Future Talk. Future Talk with Amial Saleh and Hany Balkis. This year, even amidst a worldwide pandemic, the world is reading from Sharjah. And Sharjah has embarked on a landmark project to try and preserve about 17 centuries worth of development in the Arabic language that also span about five distinct time periods. The historical corpus of the Arabic language will be the most comprehensive historical corpus of this language that has ever been worked on up until today. And what makes it even more special is that it is under the direct supervision of His Highness Sheikh Dr. Sultan bin Hamad Al Qasimi, Supreme Council member and ruler of Sharjah. Joining us today to tell us more about this great achievement is the automation specialist of the historical corpus of the Arabic language project, Mr. Sasha Motis. Thank you so much for joining us, Mr. Sasha. Hi, Omnia. I'm happy to be on air at Pulse 95. Welcome to the show, brother. It's great to have you on. Now, let's talk about what will the digital historical corpus of the Arabic language actually cover? Well, if we first try to uh, describe what a historical corpus would be, Mm. uh, now I think for general public, the best way is to describe it that uh, think of it as a dictionary of all the words, but Mm. you add a new dimension to it. Mm-hmm. where you described how a certain word has uh, made changes through time. 
So where does this word actually come from and how it changed the meaning through time? Mm. Uh, so, of course, in addition to that, you also add some other metadata, which uh, would mean like you mentioned who was the first person to use it mm. uh, or uh, the actual origin of the word. So um, thinking of it, we are talking about huge number of words. Now, those words, before I give you just some numbers, we're talking about over 11,000 of word roots. Mm. Those roots, they actually represent hundreds of thousands of words. Now, these words are nouns, verbs, adjectives, uh, different variations. Uh, mm -hmm. So each one of those needs to be described through time. And mm. in addition to that, you also have uh, idioms. Now, what is an idiom? It's actually a combination of few words that have a new meaning. Now, in English, if we think about it, it would be like over the moon. Mm. So each word <laughs> separately has a different meaning. Mm. But idiom is when you put few words together, it actually presents a, represents a new meaning. True. You have thousands of those as well. So uh, the, the, the historical corpus of Arab language is actually a, a huge project. It's, uh, uh, what, what was achieved over the past few years is just uh, hard to, hard to, hard to uh, absolutely. comprehend. Um, and whenever we're talking about basically digitizing all of this content, as you mentioned, some of it is idioms that they're basically materials that only people who actually speak the language would be familiar with. Uh, can you walk us through technically, how was this process uh, viable? How, how did you approach creating what was once in physical copies, in physical Arabic dictionaries, which we would typically call ma'ajim al al how was it uh, digitized? So, to create a corpus, you need to you need to think of basic ingredients that you need. Mm -hmm. So, the basic three components that I would mention are first would be source material. Mm. Now, the source material would be books, which are both handwritten; they are printed. We're talking about 17 centuries of, of material that was produced. So. Mm. Uh, we're talking about different fonts, different uh, typefaces that were used. So, the, let's say the the OCR that we are familiar with normally mm. would, just wouldn't cut it. We had to have something more advanced. And mm. OCR, for those who don't know, is optical character recognition. What it does is when you have a scan or a photo of some text, it actually transforms it into an electronic version so you can mm. use it, let's say, Word, or mm. copy-paste it. Mm -hmm. and, uh, make it searchable. So the first is source material. Now, um, in this project, um, to cover 17th century, and I mean, we're not just throwing any book inside. We're just talking about uh, important books that were picked by the list was made by scholars. Yeah. Uh, but this is we're talking about tens of thousands of books. Now, this is big millions of pages <laughs> and. Uh, it's, it's, it's enormous. I mean, size size of it, just the storage is, is huge. So when you create uh, uh, this database of, uh, of both printed and electronic versions of documents, because we are talking about five centu uh, 17th centuries, mm -hmm. five different eras of Arabic language, um, uh, you create this database, which now suddenly you have the text. Text by itself doesn't really give you much. Now you need to add some more logic to it. Mm -hmm. yeah. So the second component would be a list of all known Arabic words. So those are the derivatives and adjectives, verbs, nouns, what we described it before. Mm -hmm. 
So think of it like a dictionary, similar mm. to a dictionary, uh, but a little bit more extended. Yeah. So um, when you have this uh, second component, this is normally an SQL database which, with, with its attributes um, and idioms. Now you need the third component, which is um, how to connect first two components and how to quickly search and display all those words mm. on a digitized collection. So if you actually put the word inside, you do a search, you want it to be presented on a scanned page. You want to see the highlight where it was positioned exactly. So you can read around it. You can get the whole meaning of uh, uh, where it was used. Absolutely. So the scholars. Now the scholars would have those three components. That means we have the OCR books, we have the words themselves, and we have a way to search and display. Mm. So once you have this, you need to uh, build a new structure that allows researchers, scholars, to add mm. new new information to when they create links. And this is what we built now over the last few years. And um, so so. Uh, the scholars actually had to work on from remote locations. We're talking mm. about 10 different countries, oh, countries wow. of scholars. Yeah, if I'm not mistaken, this is like 500 scholars or something. Amazing. In, in, the, in the process. And they all need to reach the same database. They need to write it. So we're talking about web application that was developed mm. on top. And uh, these researchers really did a huge amount of work and they, they entered all this data and uh, Actually, what was now achieved and presented last week, mm. uh, Thursday, uh, His Highness uh, Sheikh uh, Dr. Sultan Al-Qasim uh, has presented it, and then it was on display in Sh on Sharjah Book Fair. Yeah. Um, it was actually eight volumes, uh, which represent first two letters of Arabic alphabet. Oh, wow. Uh, now, of course, more work was already done, but those were just a sample <laughs> that was uh, presented. And still, there is few years of work to be done to complete the full uh, corpus. dictionary corpus. Yeah. 100%. Um, I mean, it's a great achievement that will take some time for it to be completed, mm -hmm. but it's definitely a first step in the right path. Coming up on Future Talk, we're going to be telling you more about this historical corpus of the Arabic language. If you have any questions for Mr. Sasha Motis, make sure you share them with us at 4215-Dortisalat or sign into our DMs on Instagram at Pulse95Radio. This is Pulse95. Future Talk. This is Future Talk with Omnia Saleh and Hani Balkis. 17 centuries of development in the Arabic language are being compiled into one digital platform. A great accomplishment that has been uh, announced actually earlier this week this weekend on Thursday about the launch of the historical corpus of the Arabic language, the most comprehensive corpus that has ever been done in an effort to keep the Arabic language alive and to also make it a much easier of a job for all researchers to find exactly what a word means, where it came from, and how we can uh, understand the etymology behind it. Joining us today is the automation specialist of the historical corpus of the Arabic language project, Mr. Sasha Motas. Thank you so much for joining us, uh, Mr. Sasha. Right before the break, we were talking about what the corpus uh, can show. And I think a lot of us uh, will might be wondering at this point, what type of data can we know about a certain word whenever we're looking through this digital corpus? Okay, so uh, the, the data is actually uh, can be, let's say, 
part of the data is more useful for uh, general public and part of it more to scholars. But uh, if I just describe some of it, uh, first of all, you need to track the development of each word through five historic uh, eras of Arabic history. Mm-hmm. So th- we're talking about the pre-Islamic period. Mm. Then you have the Islamic era, which is from Hijri 1 to 132. Mm. Uh, then it's an era of uh, Abbasid, uh, Abbasid Caliphate. Yeah. And uh, then development of nation states and the modern day era. Mm-hmm. So first of all, for each of those eras, you need to define at least few mentions. And uh, every mention where the word changes its meaning. Mm. So researchers are manually going through this and uh, tagging all of the sources where it was uh, found and when when was a certain uh, first time use. Mm. Um, who was the person that first mentioned it? Mm. Uh, the origin. Then they describe the origin of a word, like uh, uh, how is it connected with other Semitic languages, like for example Hebrew, uh, uh, Akkadian, Syriac, uh, Abyssinian, mm. among others. So uh, then they need to describe the syntax, the morphology, mm. phonetics. Uh, they need to uh, tag any mm-hmm. semantic changes to the word in time. So it could be mm. even the pr- pronunciation has changed. Whatever is the, 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 the difference. Mm. Um, then um, mm. some of these data, of course, is not very interesting to the general public. Mm. So, but but what happened is. That suddenly there is a, a database. I mean, in the past, how corpuses were made, they were just typed in. And, uh, yeah. But now this, this, this is a very particular uh, historical corpus, which actually is, is utilizing all of the power of, uh, of IT that we have mm-hmm. at disposal today. So, so what it allows the Arabic Language Academy to do is to, to simply create new interfaces for general public, mm. easy to search, easy to display something as as they seem that would be mm. appropriate at a certain time. I mean, Absolutely. now at this stage, at this stage, this interface is uh, only for scholars, mm. but uh, surely it will open up for general public very soon. Mm. And uh, then people will find these uses, and then it's going to be possible to connect it with other, uh, with other countries, with other languages, and exchange the metadata as well yeah. through internet protocols. So, so far, uh, who can access this information? Only researchers at this time? At this time, only researchers. Yeah. Uh, but this will soon change. I mean, mm. there are already plans on the on the way, and uh, there will be new ways how to use this data. Very soon. I mean, today it's printed book, mm. first eight volumes. Yeah. So first two letters of the alphabet. So elephant ba, uh, that's it, and we have about eight volumes. Yes. Goes to show how yeah. huge are the resources and how much information we have about every single letter. Yeah, it's huge. I mean, each of those books is uh, maybe mm. five, seven hundred pages. So mm. can and you can just vast information. And just goes to show how far technology can take us. I mean, we're talking about language and literature. And the Arabic language is a very complex and complex language. Absolutely. And whenever we're looking at uh, the previous efforts that were done uh, with the corpus, I mean, you mentioned it yourself, uh, Sasha, before people would actually have to either type... Back in the day, they would have to compile all the physical copies uh, to create a corpus. But nowadays, before they would have to type it out, and now we have a way to digitize all of these resources. 
Absolutely. I mean, just think of it. Some some rare books they maybe exist in one copy and they are stored somewhere in some museum. Yeah. And you're not even able to open it. So today we are able to scan those, share them remotely, uh, analyze them, and quickly retrieve the data out. I mean, no need to retype everything that is in a book. You mm. go through the, the optical character recognition and you get the text out. Now, this text is useful again, very very easily. Yes. Uh, so so. I, Mm. It's a great effort, and we have rare books at our fingertips. Thank you so much, Mr. Sasha, for sharing with us and celebrating with us this great accomplishment through knowledge. The world is reading from Sharjah, and today we get to also understand how the world is reading from Sharjah through this historical corpus. Yes, indeed. Thank you so much, Sasha, for coming on air with us. We're going to be taking a short break, but when we come back, ladies and gentlemen, we're talking about what? What's up right here on Pulse 95. Pulse 95. Pulse 95. Apps all around. What's worth a click and download? What's worth a click and download, but 99.9% .9 chance <laughs> you already have this app downloaded because we're talking about WhatsApp and how it has unveiled a disappearing messaging tool with a seven day limit. Now, Omni and I have been hinting that soon enough, WhatsApp will come out with this feature. Now, automatically, when I hear about disappearing messages it brings me back to a time of blackberry messenger bbm the yes. iconic messaging app that everyone during their their <laughs> adolescent days used it now what's up before it it went horrible and everyone stopped using it did come out with a disappearing messaging tool but now what's up is implementing that and the feature will be rolling out to over 2 billion active users this month yes indeed i know a lot of you may be wondering how do how will these chats disappear and after what time will they disappear and this is exactly why we're going to be giving you all those details so this feature is going to be launching on both ios and android platforms so all users will get a chance to try it out but the feature basically means that all of your messages the new messages will automatically be deleted mm -hmm. in a chat after seven days so if a person does not open this chat within seven days or even if they did open it it has a lifetime of only seven days and mm -hmm. after that it completely disappears yes in a one-to-one -one chat for example when you're talking to one person uh either person can turn disappearing messages on or off and groups admins will actually have that control over the new feature now whatsapp did come out with a statement and said that their goal is to make conversation on whatsapp feel as close to in-person as possible, yeah. which means that these words or these conversations <laughs> shouldn't have to stick around forever. And that's why WhatsApp is excited to introduce this option to use disappearing messages on WhatsApp. So ladies and gentlemen, if you're a person who likes to keep receipts, well, they like to call them receipts, <laughs> on messages chat and receipts. chat receipts and messages about people in your conversation with them, well, watch out, ladies and gentlemen, because you might have a disappearing message. Now, WhatsApp did say that starting with the seven-day limit because they think it does offer a peace of mind that conversations aren't permanent while do remaining the practical so you don't forget what you were chatting about. Yes, indeed. Now, once this feature is enabled, any new message that is sent to a certain person or to a group chat will disappear after seven days. However, if you're worried about your previous messages, no worries. This setting will not affect 
any messages that you have previously sent or received in the chat before turning or having the setting turned on. So either of the users can have the option turned on or turned off. And as you've mentioned, Hani, in a group chat, only the group admins have control over these disappearing messages. Mm. Now, if a user does not open WhatsApp in the seven-day period, the message will completely disappear even if they have not read it. Yes, indeed. And also, ladies and gentlemen, you can screenshot or forward that message that is being uh, sent to you. Yeah. Or even if you sent that message. So it will disappear after seven days, but you can screenshot it or send it. Now, I do believe a couple of years ago, what a lot of people mm. were, uh, were, were prompting at that WhatsApp soon will give you a notification if someone screenshots your chat. Oh, that now, would you know have been how like much, Snapchat. You know how much <laughs> trouble I would be into if WhatsApp was notifying people that I was screenshotting their chats. I'd be in so much trouble. And uh, I want to let you guys, I want to ask you guys, what do you guys think about these disappearing messages? Are you excited about it? And what would you use it for? 4215 or on our Instagram at Pulse95Radio. One piece of advice or one, one new information that we want to tell you, though, is if you forward the message to someone else, this message will not disappear. Ooh. So that's the only way you can keep track of those messages. So you can go ahead and forward it to yourself if you want to keep chat receipts. But we also want to remind you that since the weather is rainy, all you would want to do is basically have a book and mm. a warm cup of tea or coffee, your favorite beverage. And this is exactly why we are celebrating the world of books today. Yes, indeed. And you can join the Pulse95 Book Club every morning from 10 a.m. with Aisha Mazmi, Ahmed Dawood, and Ali Hazami, who will be discussing the various events and activities in an exceptional hybrid online and offline in, uh, format. And, ladies and gentlemen, they will be live at the Sharjah International Book Fair, and you can go there as well. All you have to do is sign up at their website, sibf.com, for all the program details. Yes, indeed. It is going to be happening every single day up until the 14th of November. So catch a seat and make sure you head to the Sharjah International Book Fair. We wish you a blessed afternoon in this beautiful weather. It is raining, and the weather is amazing. Yes, the weather is amazing. It's a good change of scenery. This is Pulse 95. Tune in live every weekday from 2 p.m.